welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Wow, what an amazing day to celebrate not one, not two, not three, not four, but five people uh, baptized and, and, and demonstrating this symbol of, of an inward change in an outward way. You know, every once in a while, God does something and has a plan that's bigger than yours. And so we've been laboring through this series over the last few weeks on the church. And this is our last message on it. Um, and this was not anything that anyone planned. It just so happened that a message that is directly related to what we just saw and experienced was going to be tailor-made and interwoven with this exact moment. That's a God thing. And I just want y'all to know, just in, in, in light of someone maybe thinking, oh, wow, that was cool how they hooked that up where like the baptisms happened right at the tail end of the church series. No, we didn't do that. That was, that was the Lord. Um, and in this series, we've been looking at the church and rediscovering the purpose and the mission of the church through the different metaphors, the three different major metaphors that are used in the Bible to refer and talk about the church. And so in the first uh, message, we looked at the church as the building, right? Because oftentimes when people think of church, they think of a place that they're going to go, a, a, a actual structure. But in, act, in the scriptures, it says, no, 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 no. The, the church is, is not a building that, you know, that sits here. That's a place where you may gather and worship together. But the church is actually, you're the building. And Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, and each and every one of us make up living stones, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, that is actually what the church is made up of. Not a building of rocks and, and wood, but a building of people. Secondly, we looked at, um, and, and the focus on that first metaphor is the idea of our interconnectedness, that somehow until we all come together, that the glory of God is not fully demonstrated. The second metaphor we looked at was the church as the body of Christ. And, and this uh, image in scripture really emphasizes the interdependence that we had. And we talked about this idea of interdependence in contrast to our kind of Western society uh, obsession with individualism. And the idea that in, in the scripture, in the Bible, that like, you know, we're hands and feet and arms and legs and ears and eyes, and, and that none of us can fully represent the body of Christ by ourselves, that we are interdependent, and that there's gifts and, and abilities that God has supernaturally given each and every one of us that only come to fruition and only come into play and only are manifested when we come together. And now here we are in the third major metaphor as we close. The church is the family of God. The church is the family. Now, I, I just got to be transparent and honest with you guys. I, I struggled with this metaphor probably more than any of the other ones because there's probably not one that is as rich nor as emotionally loaded as family. I mean, the reality is that many of us come, you know, from situations where when we hear the word, the, the church is the family of God, that, has, that statement has two strikes already. One is church, and, you know, many of us can deal with issues where we look back at our past of experiences of church hurt and ways that we've been hurt by the church, and so it's like, Ugh. and then there's family, the place that we oftentimes try to avoid on Thanksgiving or, or, or Christmas or whatever the, the, the case may be. And so it's like, so now you put these two together into one metaphor. It can be emotionally loaded, but it could also, is also very rich when we unpeel the layers. But uh, there's been a lot of talk about family and, and, and the dysfunctions of family and erosion of, of family. And it's gotten to the point where probably even when we think of successful families, they are wrought with dysfunction. Uh, on TV nowadays, one of the, the most, you know, kind of famous images that we have of a family, of a successful family, is one that I don't know if we would necessarily want to exchange with our own. Uh, in the TV show Empire, we have the Lions family. Now, 
For those that may not know or don't, don't watch it, uh, just to give you a little bit of a primer, the patriarch, the, 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 the father, is Lucius Lyon, and uh, Lucius is a bad man, and he's a bad man. <laughs> both, both senses are bad on this one. Uh, he's, he's a uh, kind of hip-hop mogul who is willing to do anything, kill, steal, manipulate, in order to build this sense of a legacy for himself. Ironically, a legacy that he desires to pass on to his kids. I say it's ironic because in the process of trying to build this legacy, he ends up pitting his very children against each other and doing very manipulative things. And of course, then there's his wife, Cookie. And Cookie is a bad woman. And she's a bad woman, but she's, <laughs> and, and so, you know, and so she, and, and, the, and, and this is the, the husband and the wife, the mom and dad, and, and, and there's a power struggle going on. And then there's the kids, Hakeem and Jamal and Andre, and there's an intense sibling rivalry amongst all three. And I think, that, and, th- and this is a successful family. And yet there's all of this drama that we enjoy watching uh, each week. But oh, he like, on Wednesday, I know, <laughs> DVR. <laughs> but and, and, it's, and it's, it's somewhat enjoyable to watch. But when you but the idea of coming home to that isn't so fun, if this was our situation. And so uh, this is what uh, Dr. Tony Evans, uh, the pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, had to say about family. And look at the contrast here. It says, "Our earthly families are intended to reflect God's unconditional love." Okay, so I have my family experience with the lions over here, and this person saying that our earthly families are intended to reflect God's unconditional love. Something, one of these things are not like the other. But, and on one end, I can kind of feel very discouraged when I see this statement and just think that, man, like, this has not been my reality. That's not been my experience. And so as a result of that, I'm just kind of dis disillusioned by even this aspect of what it means to be in the family of God. And I had many of those experiences myself where, you know, I didn't have a father growing up. And so the idea is God is my father was not very appealing or attractive or even understandable to me. And so many of us can come in, but then there's a key word in Dr. Evans' statements that when you, when you look at it, it actually changes the whole paradigm around. And that's the word reflected. Because he says it's intended to reflect God's unconditional love. And that's very good news for us. Let me explain why. Uh, See, the moon at night, if it's a full moon, it reflects the sun, the light of the sun, right? So light itself does not emanate from the moon. We merely see a reflection of light that is bouncing from the, the, the source of that light is the sun. Why is that good news? Because, you see, if I start from the vantage point of my family and try to reach out to God and understand love or reach out to the church and try to understand family from the vantage point of my own broken family situation, then I'm going to struggle with that, especially when it has gaps. But if I realize that actually the good that I experienced in my family and that love that I experienced there, which there was good, as well as the bad, is merely a, 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 supposed to be a reflection of, of the true source, which is God. So the reason why that's important and that's exciting for me, because that means that even when I had gaps, that that was never supposed. So in other words, we're supposed to reverse it. It's not that we look to God and we look at our Father and we look at God and say, okay, now I understand what God is supposed to be like because I've seen a father. No, actually, we're supposed to look at God and then define and determine what a right father is supposed to be by looking at him. It's not that we go to church and we go, okay, well, this is what my family situation was like, and so let me, let me, let me just imagine and project what a church should be like in light of my family. In actuality, we're supposed to look at the church as a family and then model what our actual, how we do, how we live out our earthly family in light of our spiritual one. That's important and that's valuable to me because that means that even regardless of what I missed out on or regardless of what didn't happen or did happen, that we can all come to the same thing together because our earthly families are merely supposed to be reflections of our spiritual ones. Y'all feel me on that? So that we can all access this thing together. And so there, the passage that we're going to be looking at 
um, to kind of unpack this, and we're going to focus on one kind of specific element here is Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. And um, as, uh, as we do that, as we've been doing the rest of this series, just kind of just model and picture what it looks like for us to engage in the text together and read it. I'm going to ask everyone to stand and read this passage. I'm reading from the ESV. If you want to pull it up on your phones, it's going to be on the screens as well. And we're going to read Romans chapter 8, just uh, verses 14 through 17, and then we're going to jump down to verse 29. All right, so you can pull up Romans chapter 8. So here we go. Ready, set, go out loud. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Verse 29, for those... You got that? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So we're going to look at and highlight three different uh, components, and uh, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, so this won't be the only passage we examine and explore um, to fully get this sense. But the challenge today that I want to challenge all of us with is to commit to the family. Commit to the family. And so we're going to be looking at what it means to be adopted, in particular, adopted to be God's child, adopted to serve with siblings, and adopted to expand the family. So first, uh, a commit, a commit to the family and what it means to be adopted to be God's child. Well, let's look at and examine what this term adopted actually means in the first place. Here's how the dictionary.com defines um, adoption. To take and rear or raise the child of other parents as one's own child specifically by a formal legal act. To take and rear the child of other parents as one's own child, specifically by a formal legal act. Now, before we can kind of dive into the text, I got to give us, because we're jumping in the middle of a thought in Romans chapter 8, but it has some important context for us. Because you see, in Romans, Paul lays out, which is probably the most theologically full explanation of Christianity that we see in any book in the Bible. And he's writing to a group of people. It's a very mixed congregation, very diverse. There's Jews there. There's Gentiles from all over the world. And they are all gathering together in this church. And and so he's writing to them to deal with some challenges that they're experiencing, but also to kind of give them a clear perspective of what church is and who God is, right? Now, Rome is the center of the Roman Empire. This was the New York City of the day. And so, he's, he, so what he's writing here doesn't just stay in Rome, but it also spreads uh, throughout the, the, the area. But in Romans chapter 1, Paul is building a case. And in Romans 1, he's explaining that, that God has revealed the fact that he exists through his creation so that no one is without excuse, that, that he has demonstrated the fact that there is such a person as God by the fact that there is a creation. And so he says, therefore, the wrath of God has been poured out against people who reject that, um, reject the existence of God and who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So he said that the Gentiles, that you in the congregation that, that are not Jewish, he says this is the reality is that those who... Um, who, who haven't received and embraced this truth of God, it's not because they don't know. And then, you know, Jews might be feeling a little good about themselves here, like, yeah, Paul, tell them. And then he turns his attention in chapter 2 to the Jews and says, oh, and by the way, you who have the law, but you still don't do what the law says, you're guilty too. So we got something for you too. And then he says in chapter 3, so 3.23 says, so, look, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Just in case you think I missed you because you're not Roman or Greek or Jewish, the reality is that we're all in that same boat. So then it's like, well, man, what do we do about that? That's kind of bad news, Paul. And then he goes to chapter 4 and says, well, here's the good news. Just like Abraham was 
saved or was considered righteous because of his faith, that we too can be considered righteous because of our faith. That's dope. So as a result of that in chapter 5, he says, therefore, we can have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ accomplished, because he accomplished and completely fulfilled the law. But then it's like, well, wait a minute. He anticipates a problem. Well, wait, are you saying that God saved us because of our sin and through Christ so that so then maybe sin is a good thing? And he says, God forbid. The reality is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So then it's like, well, wait a minute. I still have sin. Romans chapter 7. So now there's a tension. There's two natures inside of you, the nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit. And those two things are warring inside of you. But as they war inside of you, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Whom we So he said, look, a fundamental identity shift has happened in who you are. So even though you have these two war natures warring inside of you, they're not on equal footing. One is the real you, one is the old you. And you have to understand that now it's not based on what you could accomplish. See, the the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear is the sense of slavery of having to think. What is slavery? It is working and mercilessly working and being forced to work with no wages, and, and and it's brutal and it's oppressive. And he's saying that's what trying to justify yourself before a holy God is. It's slavery. And the result of that slavery is fear because you can never fully know, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Did I accomplish it enough? And so he says, look, you haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. Oh, this is good news, saints. The adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, let me explain this. I was in um, Israel in March, and we were talking to an Aramean. Um, Now, Abba is an Aramaic word. And what he said, and I asked him, like, well, what does that translate to you now? And he says, well, essentially, Abba means dad. It's a more intimate expression of who father is. Like, you wouldn't go up and just say, hello, father. You'd be like, hey, dad. And it's like, it's intimate. It's still respectful and reverent, but it's intimate. And I'm like, do, you, do, your, do your kids call you Abba? He says, yeah. They, they, they still, they, so they still refer, people who speak Aramaic still refer to dad as Abba. And so what he says is that we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we call God, the God of the universe, dad. Now, it, it, it's, we saw in the definition of what an um, adoption is that it, 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 it's a thing, right? It's a concept in which someone takes on a child that is not their own and rears them up through some type of legal proceeding or some type of legal act, right? So, so there's this initial phase, and I'm getting somewhere with the baptism that we just saw because, you see, in Romans 6, Paul explains that we were uh, baptized into uh, to the death of Christ and raised to new life. That's why Josh kept saying that every time, you know, you've been uh, de- dead in Christ and now you've risen again. And this is the picture. When Jesus died on the cross, he said what? It is finished. It is finished was a legal transaction to say that it is paid. The debt is paid in full. So what he accomplished was our adoption on the cross. He said it is finished. It is done. So therefore, if I have placed faith in him, if I have received him as Savior and Lord, then I am now adopted by God. He now gives me all the righteousness that Jesus had. He now sees me in that way because God, Jesus has paid for us with his own death, burial, and resurrection. And we symbolize that, we, we mirror that when we back, get baptized. And so he says, we have this adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this isn't like a, a cry, like, a, you know, a, a desperate cry of a plea of anguish and pain. It's more like when a, father, uh, a child sees a father and, and is excited and wants to run up and just jump into their arms and hug. And it's like that kind of a cry. I'm home kind of a cry. And so, but look at this, but wait, there's more. <laughs> because he says, and I, and as if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Whew. This aspect is actually mind-blowing. 
Because what he's saying here is that if children, then heirs, right? So one of the things that happens when, when you get adopted is that you get into the house and now everything that was in the house that belonged to the other kids, you now have access to, right? So, so, so now like what's, what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. I can go into the fridge now when I'm adopted and, and if there's something to drink and if there's something to eat in the fridge, then I can access it too, right? That's good news. Or I can go, hey, mom, dad, can I get some money to go to the mall? And, 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 and if there's money in the house, if there are resources, then I have access to it too. Even though I wasn't born from the same stock as the parents that the other kids were, I still get access to everything that they have. And he says that if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What he's saying is that Christ inherited a whole lot when he resurrected from the dead. It says that now because of this name, he is the name that everything in heaven and on earth is subject to. Now with this name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In Ephesians chapter 1, it tells us that all the riches of the glories of God in the heavenly places have, are, are there in Christ. And guess what? We got access to all of it. Forgiveness, peace, righteousness, joy, community, love, the intimacy with God, everything that Christ accomplished in us. We have heirs, and it says fellow heirs with Christ. He shares with us. You know what's one thing that was really amazing about this is that when I saw the son thing, I was like, okay, well, we're sons, but like we're really like sons and daughters, and like how does that play itself out with the gender equity thing? And I was struggling with that. And then I studied, and then I realized wow, Paul just flipped the script on this whole thing. Because you see, in Roman times, the oldest son was the one that got access to all of the benefits and the proceeds of the inheritance, right? That was, it was, so it wasn't just the oldest, but it was the oldest son. So what Paul does here is saying that by calling us sons, not sons and daughters, he's playing on the legal concept and saying, now everybody, male, female, oldest, youngest, and everybody in between, God treats you as the oldest son. We, we, with all the privileges and all the perks that came with being the oldest son is now spread out and distributed through all of us. But then there's also relationship there too, because notice it says there's other children in the house. You're not just by yourself. So all of that has context and consequences. Let me, what do I mean? Let me move on. So in my own situation, uh, my mom married my stepfather when I was 16 years old. And all of a sudden, we had this Brady Bunch situation going on uh, where uh, my, my stepdad, he had two younger sons. Uh, Ramon is the taller one that's looking very excited about the day. And uh, then there's Rudy, who was just like fidgeting and squirming and all that. And he was about three years old. And then my mom had my older brother, who's right behind her with the long necktie, and me looking dapper with the tuxedo (laughs) at the tender age of 16. But what happened was all of a sudden the two became one, and now I had, brother, I had two younger brothers. I also had a, a sister that's not pictured here and an older brother as well. And so in all of this, here's my point, and I want us to get this. When he adopted me as a son and my older brother, we also got brothers that came with that. We got siblings that came along with that. So this whole, all this stuff about adoption, this is not just about us and God, the Father. It also has implications for the, guess what? We got siblings in the house too. We got siblings there. We got brothers and sisters. And how that gets lived out, it matters. Because I couldn't just, with my three-year-old Rudy, my three-year-old brother, I couldn't just act like he wasn't there. Like all of a sudden, part of the responsibilities of being in the house meant looking out for the one who was younger than me. And it's cool because now we have another picture here that this growing up. And this is us just a few uh, months ago at my mother's uh, birthday party. And Rudy, the one that's squirming and fidgeting now, he's, you know, bigger now. He's, and, and Ramon is the one taller that he's, you know, not the one with the beard, but the other one, he just turned 30 yesterday. And so we're like this family and we continue to grow even though through this aspect of adoption. And God does this thing of having a blended family. Well, what does all this mean? Well, here's the point. Embracing adoption means accepting you were placed into a family and now have a heavenly father, an older brother in Christ, and many siblings in your local church. Part of what it means, the very idea of what it means to be a follower of Christ means that we got brothers and sisters and are in a family in a church. 
That's part of the process. So with that, that also means that the challenge in the second point is that we're adopted to serve with siblings. We're adopted to serve with siblings. Look at what uh, it says in Ephesians 2 and uh, 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The picture that, again, Paul is painting here, he says, look, and he's explaining that you were strangers before. Y'all didn't know each other, and you were from different ethnic groups. You were from groups that are typically considered hostile to each other. In his day, he's talking Jews and Gentiles. In ours, we could easily be talking black and white. And he's saying, look, now you, you, you were first aliens and strangers, and now you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. And it's a beautiful picture of what that means. But here's the piece that is very important. When you're in a household, there are expectations. So in my case, when uh, my mom married my stepfather, we moved into a house because, you know, we were living at my grandma's place before. And in this house, all of a sudden, there were responsibilities and rules that came with the house that we were expected to do. I had to take out the trash. And I had to sweep up the front. And if there was a need for babysitting, I had to, you know, step up and do that for my little brothers, right? Like, this, there, there's house rules to this thing. Well, brothers and sisters, we also got house rules, too. And there are expectations for everyone in the house. And the way that the scriptures break this down, and we'll look at this, um, is between leaders like pastors or elders, and members. There are expectations and there's rules for the house. So first, we're going to just look at the expectations of elders and pastors. This is what church members are supposed to expect out of those who are in leadership. And this is what Paul writes to Timothy, um, someone that he is just newly put in place as a pastor. And he says, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, the thing that's interesting about this, this, now, first of all, when he says the word overseer, right, that is the Greek word episkopos. And episkopos is uh, used, it actually translates bishop or it could translate elder. Now, the interesting thing in the New Testament is whether the word is used as bishop, elder, or pastor, all of them are interchangeably used to talk about the rules and the relationships of leadership in the church and membership. So, so, So you could just swap out overseer for elder or pastor. But the thing that's interesting is look at the long list of the descriptions and look at what do you notice about it? That primarily most of the, most of the, the qualifications have to do with character. And as I was looking at this, I was like kind of just transposing this with Lucia's line and going, wow, this is that's kind of mad different. Husband of one wife, strike one. Uh, self-controlled, strike two. <laughs> Respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. These are the characteristics of what you can expect from a leader in the church. Now, notice that there was only one skill set thing mentioned, able to teach. So, so the key aspect here is to look at the aspect of character. This is what you can expect, but it moves on. It goes on to say, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So, so my, my takeaway from this, and again, it's not that leaders are supposed to be perfect, but there's a sense of, there's a bar of expectation that we are held to, a standard that we as pastors and leaders are held to. And as a church, these are things that you ought to expect to see. And one of the challenges and issues that we've, one of the reasons why we've seen so much church hurt over the years is that we've seen leaders not demonstrate this and live this out. And so it's so important to kind of know what that source is. Um, so here to break that down just very simply, here are expectations, simply. Modeling Christ means service and example. Serving the people of God and being an example in life. Preaching, the, uh, preaching Christ through the word 
Is the pastor, elder, uh, you know, accurately dividing the word of truth? Is, 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 is he preaching the word of God? Third, manage the church. There's an aspect of leadership here, right? So I can't just be serving and I can't just be teaching, but I have to also just be able to work with other people and, and, and manage people. And then the fourth is depending on Christ that ultimately through prayer and vision from God, that is the determining factor, not simply my charisma or what I can do. Now, fortunately, uh, we get to see a cool picture of this. And when I came and moved here a year and a half ago to serve with uh, Bridge and specifically with James, I got to work with somebody that I had actually seen his character in life over time. About, you know, uh, 15 so years ago, we were roommates uh, at Howard University doing ministry on campus before. But it was interesting because a couple of days ago, I, you know, some of you know that we, my wife and I, we just moved. And James and Natasha came to help us move, right? And I, I kind of took this picture with him on the slide. He wasn't looking. But there was this picture of him uh, playing with Sophia, his youngest. And, and, and the reason why, and it was, I was just sitting there and I was just struck like, wait a minute, this guy and his wife just came to just help us just to check in. Didn't, we didn't ask him we didn't, just to see how we were doing. And as he's doing that, I'm getting to see a leader who's caring for his household and his, and his family well and is loving them. And this is what I get to see on a, a regular basis. And this is why I enjoy serving with this brother, because what you see is what you get. And, and this is the expectations that we should have of pastors and leaders. Well, that's one half of it. And I knew you were waiting for the other half the expectations of members, right? Because there's other aspects of the house rules as well. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who are experiencing persecution. They are being uh, attacked and ridiculed and mocked and, and experiencing violence because of their faith. And so as a result, it is no longer convenient for people to continue to fellowship with each other in public, right, to gather together. It's no longer convenient, but he says, look, let us consider how to stir one another up in good works and in love. Like, like we, have to, we have to do this together. And he says, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some. So the reality is there's, there's something intrinsically important about us gathering together. And again, let's just go back to the family picture, for example. What would we call a family that never meets, that never eats together, that never hangs out? They would just be like roommates, and so unless there's some rhythms that we build where there's time together to get to know one another and to kind of move closer to one another and to care for each other, then we're just like people that's ended up in the same place listening to the same message. But the picture that God has for us is that we, we gather together. Look at what he says in scripting over a few chapters over to 13. And it says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, here, Paul, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews gets a, a little bit more specific. He says, look, don't neglect to do good, to serve, to meet the needs of this kingdom agenda. And look, share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what does that say about the type of sharing what you have? He's saying sacrificially to give. Not just comfortably, but like, like a, a sense of investment in a deep way. And then look, and here's another part. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, those are two profane. Some people are like, wow, I didn't know they cursed in church. Um, so some people obey and submit are, 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 are curse words. But, that's what, but it's not. Because the funny thing is, when the scenario is right, we don't mind obeying and submitting, or as one would say, getting information. If the person is right, if we have enough trust and belief in the person, then submitting to when, they, when the DJ says, everybody clap your hands. It's, it's not a, see, this is what I'm saying. It's not a problem, right? It's only a problem in certain contexts. <laughs> 
Oh, man. So, but it says, obey and submit to your leaders. And then he gives a qualification why. He says, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. He said, look, this is, this is our responsibility. This is what we signed up for is to commit ourselves to God by stewarding his people well. And then he says, look, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, it's funny when I think about doing it. So either way, it has to be done, but it's like, which way are we going to do this? And, th- and this reminds me of just when, uh, when our you know, daughter was about six years old, um, we had to do immunizations, right, and had to get vaccines done. Now, uh, Ari was no fan of shots um, and needles, as most children are not, but she had a little bit more strength than most six-year-olds, and so her fight meant that we had to, like, team up, and, like, it, it felt so bad. We're in a doctor's office, Tamika and I, and we're, like, pinning her down, and, you know, like, I'll take the legs, you take the hands, and it's like, ah, and, 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 and the, the reality is, in our mind, we're just saying, look, you need to get these shots for your own good. We're going to do it either way, but wouldn't it be much better if you didn't have to cause us to groan and resist us when we move forward in doing it? And this is the picture that the writer is presenting here, that we have to lead either way, but wouldn't it be better? It's like, like Jerry Maguire said in the movie, like, help us help you. Like, you know, just help us help you. We, we want to help you, but help us. So this is part of the expectation. Well, let me break that down in very specific terms, expectations of church members. Time, talent, and treasure. I'm going to say this very specifically and move on. So time means that the very nature of being a family means that we make time to gather. Make time. Not just if it's convenient, but we make time to worship together. That's part of the process. That's part of what it means to be family. It's not an option for a family. It's part of what it means to be family. It's not, well, it's kind of, it's raining outside, so I think I'm going to chill today. It, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's, I'm tired. It's, it's, it's like I press through that because we're family. We make time to gather. Second, our talent, we use our gifts in serving teams. That's part of what it means, right? Like I said earlier, like, you know, you have family chores, and it's like, okay, you're good at, you know, the cleaning up part. And sometimes you got to do stuff you ain't even good at. It's just like the trash got to get taken out. But, you know, it's not like I got some spiritual gift called trash taking out, you know. It's just kind of what has to be done. And so what he's saying here, and, and, and please hear me, because think about it this way. In a family, if there is, I think about Cinderella, right, where when some of the siblings just choose not to, and they put all of the work on somebody else, it turns that work into grueling, harsh labor because other people are not carrying their weight. And Bridge, I just want to say, like, we are have people in this situation who, you know, I'm talking to leaders every day, and many of them are overwhelmed and feeling like they're stretched thin because they don't have enough help because there are people in the body, in the family, that's just like, well... We're going out to the ball, Cinderella. I don't know what you're doing. You just go ahead and mop them floors. What happens when we don't all contribute and get behind that rock and push it together is it makes the weight heavier for those who are. Let us be a church. Let us be a family that serves one another and that serves. Um, Thirdly, treasure. Regular proportional giving. Um, The word proportional uh, what that means is it, there's always this, and it's not legalistic in 2 Corinthians 8, you know, 9, Paul talks about giving and saying, look, it's not, it's about being a cheerful giver. We're not one of these places that, you know, is doing five and six collections and locking the doors until we get a certain amount. It's not that type of party, right? It's like, no, relax. But what it is about is saying that, hey, if we were all in a house together and we were relatives and mom and dad were short on the rent, and the kids are sitting on stacks. It's like, hey, you're going to have to come up off some of that so we can, like, pay rent, right? Like, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an us thing. It's not a, just the people who happen to feel led to give thing. And so what God has set up for us is that part of our responsibility as being members of the house is to have the opportunity to contribute and to give And when I say proportionally, meaning that the mindset that God is giving us about giving is that when, I, when he blesses me, I give to the extent that I'm being blessed. 
Like I see that every aspect, I get a raise, I, my, I, I increase my ability to give because of what God has blessed me with. Like the picture is that there's a proportionate type of relationship there to give us a sense that God's hand is in my even ability to give. There's many people that wish they could give proportionately, but are not in the position to. And God sees that as well. Here's the problem. Some of our commitments to the local church look more like a gym membership than a family membership. Now, in the beginning in January, like most of America, I signed up for a gym membership. Yes, I had great intentions and expectations. I, I was getting it in. And for a while, I did. Got it, you know, paid the extra for the trainer, you know, got the free session. And then, like, was like, yo, I like you. We kind of hit it off. Yeah, let's do it. We get big. And then, like, February hit. And it got cold outside. Snow on the ground was like, nah, I'm good. I think I'm just going to do some push-ups, you know, in the house or not. Um, and then, you know, it just got, and then one thing led to another. And then, you know, I was, wasn't feeling so good. I got, into, I got a cold a little bit. So I didn't, I didn't go, I'm going to get back into it. Then I moved a solid half a mile away. And it was like, yo, this is, this is not working for me anymore. Like... So I sent in my, uh, you have to do this thing with Blink where you have to like write a, uh, like if you're not, either go there or just kind of write in canceling your membership. So I wrote in and said, I'm done. Stop charging my account on a monthly basis. <laughs> and many of us have that same perspective about church. You know, I, you know I'm on the worship, but uh, it's cold, it's snowing. Oh man, um, I'm good. I'm just going, you know, get my worship on privately and well, you know, I moved another half a mile away, and it's just not working with my schedule anymore. And so, you know, I see Planet Witness Church over there, so maybe I'm just going to, like, go over there and, like, just kind of change up. I like they worship a little bit better in any way. And we, we approach it like it's a, a gym. But we're family, right? Like, we're, we're like supposed to be family. Like, shouldn't we be able to persevere and work through some of these things? Now, I'm not saying that you move out of state or whatever. Like, there aren't circumstances that aren't involved that make those things reasonable. But what, we, what I am saying is that there is a sense in which uh, we have to ve- see our connection with family as something deeper than just being a part of a club. And here's the last part about this aspect of membership that makes it sticky. And if that was tight, it gets a little tighter. We tend to run from what the Father uses to make us more like Jesus, difficult siblings. See, part of what it means to be called into a family and that that adoption isn't just an adoption to God the Father, you know, like, you know, that's cool, but it also is adoption with brothers and sisters, is that there are sometimes siblings that we don't get along with. Yeah, there's sometimes siblings that work our nerves, that irritate us, that we just, you know, we just don't flow with. And if there's enough of them, maybe it's just time to move on. Or maybe if there's just one of them. Um, I can relate to that because my older brother and I, uh, biological older brother and I, we, you know, we had this kind of dynamic too. I, I enjoy this picture because it kind of, to me, speaks a lot about our relationship, right? I'm smiling. It's my wedding day. He's just kind of stoically looking. I got, like, my arm around him. He's just kind of standing there. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, yeah, this, is, this was kind of how I felt most of my life with him. And, and, uh, and, and it actually got worse when I became a Christian. He would kind of start to mock me and, and tease me about my faith. And, I mean, we have family gatherings, and I'm, like, in an argument with them, yelling tears coming down my eyes. It was just, like, intense. And then... And at some times, I was like, I just want to stop messing with this dude. Like, you know, we're different. But it was like, we're, we're related. We're family. So we got to work through that. And um, fortunately, over the years, we've been able to build a better relationship with each other. I talked to him this morning and, um, you know, and like I have a good relationship with my niece and nephew. And, and here's the thing. If I was willing to do that with a guy that, if, if, honestly, if my brother and I were not related and we just knew each other in the street, we wouldn't be cool like that. It's just, it's just, it's just different. But I'm committed to him because of the relationship. Now, if what we said earlier is true, that the earthly family is just supposed to be a reflection of what is true about God's unconditional love, then if I'm willing to work with my brother by blood who I don't get along with and who doesn't know the Lord yet, why wouldn't I have such the same level of commitment with somebody that I'm in covenant fellowship with? 
Like we bought by the blood together. Like, like we, 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 we have communion together. And then they irritate me. They say something wrong and I'm done with them. Dahadi Lewis puts it this way. The local church is not like a family. It is a family. We are not play cousins. You know, we're not just kind of pretending here, but this is the reality that is supposed to emanate into our, act- our, into our earthly families is what is true about our spiritual one. But that means having a level of commitment that is deeper than that. So then it, this is the last point. And then so we're supposed to grow the family. And we grow the family by being adopted to expand the family. This is part of the family business. And uh, again, just God in the same spirit working with it as David didn't know I was going to quote this very passage when at the end of, uh, at the end of worship when he quoted this. But in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now look at what he's doing here. What, what Jesus is saying, this is after he's resurrected, he's given his disciples instructions and saying, okay, you're my my household. I'm the older brother. I'm telling you what to do. Here are my instructions. And the key imperative there is make disciples, make Christ lookalikes, make examples of me, continue to produce brothers and sisters. How do we make them? By going, taking the initiative to go out there and by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is the baptism thing so important? Why did we just celebrate that? Because it is a picture. It is a outward symbol. It is a statement of the fact that we're in the family. We, we kin now. We brothers and sisters. We're together. And look at what he then says, teaching them to obey and to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, who's responsible for that part? All of us are. Not just the pastor. Not just the elder. But we all are. And look at the promise that reminds us that we are not orphans. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the world. This is God's solution to the problems that we see in our society around us, and it starts in the household of God. Being a sister or brother to those in the local church is part of what it means to be a disciple. We can't just think that this thing is something that happens out there, that God can be happy and pleased with the fact that I spent time praying and worshiping and reading in his word in the morning, but I don't talk to my brother and sister. He's saying that these things are related. Well, as has been the case throughout this series, that we've been talking about the church as a glimpse, as a preview, as a snapshot, right? And this following preview has been approved for all audiences. Because what does it look like when the church gathers and does this right? Well, the good news is we have some incredible examples here in this church. And one of them, uh, I like to what happens when... Nigeria, Romania, and Jersey get together in one house. Well, what we got is the crown house, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the reality is you cannot talk about the Bridge Church without talking about the investment that these women have had in this ministry, right? You know, that's just reality. And, and the amazing thing is the, these women who have lived together, served together, it, like they're, they're sisters, right? Not by blood. They come from three different nations, but, but by through the spirit, right? And, and, but this is not just about the incredible experiences that have happened through city groups, groups being hosted there and, and other types of ministry happening. But one thing in particular happened a while back. And uh, Carvins was just sharing with me this story. Carvins, who was uh, helping lead worship, brother with the bow tie in the middle, um, he was sharing with this uh, yesterday that uh, a while back that he was living in a place and their lease uh, kind of ex- expired. And so he talked to the landlord. She was like, yeah, we're going to renew your lease. And he was like, cool, bet um, you're going to renew my lease. And so, you know, a month went by and he called back and was like, hey, where's the lease? She's like, yeah, I'm going to bring it to you. Two months go by. And then uh, third month happens. And they walk home one day and they see a big eviction notice on their door. Vacate the premises. Well, because of the commitment that the landlord had made, they were not prepared for this. They were about to get kicked out on the street. And um, the ladies heard about this and they invited them to live in, the, in, in, their, in their place, in their apartment that they were renting. Rent free, just to serve and just to be a blessing. They took them in, a married couple, into their home. 
And, and, and this is what Carvins had to say about that experience. He said, when Amanda, Yvonne, and Liz took us in, it was the most, one of the most beautiful church family moments I ever had. Church hurt exists, but so does church love. So does church love. Yeah. Notice that this didn't come through an event. This didn't come through uh, Soul Cafe, although that's dope, or uh, uh, an incredible worship uh, moment. It happened when the people of God treated each other as family. Why church? Because the local church, as Mark Dever says, is the gospel made visible. It's the gospel made visible. It is what good news looks like when it inhabits men and women who are committed to each other to serve one another and to go out and to continue that message and to serve our city. This is the picture that he's given us. When people um, consider becoming members here, this is what they sign. This is a signature. Many of you have signed this, and I just wanted to read it to you just to have you just have a picture we can get on the same mindset about what it means to be family. It says, I want to mature in my faith and I want my life to have maximum impact. I am committing to these next steps and I am planting myself at the Bridge Church. I am allowing the Bridge Church pastors to lovingly hold me accountable to these next steps so that my life can have the greatest impact. This is our covenant that we make with one another. And it's something that is deeper than a membership to a gym or deeper than a membership to even a a part of blood relatives and family. Not that we don't love and take care of them. We do. But what this is saying is that we are called and committed to love one another, even when we don't agree, as Christ loved the church. Well, the next new members class that is happening in terms of an application point is Saturday, July 15th from 11 to 1 right here. And if you've never made that commitment and that decision to be a part of this local assembly, we invite you to do that. But more importantly, if you're here and maybe this is you're just visiting or you, someone got baptized and you wanted to support them, my encouragement to you would be, even if it's not here at the bridge, somewhere, somewhere, let's invest together. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.